You know, it's easy to feel pessimistic in our world with, with so many issues going on right now, so many things that need to be solved or evolved into something new. But at the same time, if you look, there are still countless inspirational stories out there. And many of these stories come from travelers, travelers whose experiences on the road have enriched their lives. And at times the lives of the other people they meet along their path or spend time with. And sometimes a defining moment or, or experience like a lightning bolt catches the traveler in a way that creates a lasting memory, defining why they're doing what they're doing. It's often called an aha moment. And those are the moments to be remembered, to be collected, stored away for future reference, or in some cases, to be shared with others, to inspire other people. Sam Manicom, the author of four widely read and popular motorcycle travel books, has put together a collage of 20 authors who all share an inspirational moment or an aha moment that they've collected on their travels. Sam calls the book The Moment Collectors. And today we're going to talk with Sam and a few of the authors that have contributed in this book about motorcycle travel, their experience, and aha moments. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. John Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. My name is uh, Sam Manikin and uh, I'm based in the UK at the moment. I was originally born and brought up in uh, Central West Africa in the Congo. And uh, I am an adventure motorcyclist, overlander and an author. What's travel about for you? Travel is about exploring. It's about discovering places. It's about discovering aspects of me, developing aspects of me. It's about meeting people and learning about their customs and their cultures. It's about riding my motorcycle and the freedom that it gives me. It's about being able to take side turnings and have the flexibility to do that. It's about being able to find magic places and just be able to stop and stay if I want to for several days at a time if I like to, because it's just an awesome place. One of those places that perhaps you see in, in photographs in travel brochures and things like that, and you just pinch yourself and you just say, I'm here, I can stay. There's no reason to go. Just the, the whole thing about traveling and flexibility and learning is lovely. Do you, do you feel that should be some, some kind of template for travel? I think that everybody is different and that's one of the beautiful things about humanity. Uh, but I think that 
overlanders, long-distance motorcycle travellers. We um, we have a lot of things in common, and most of those things are in common. Although some people, they're out there for the ride. And, of course, some people don't have the flexibility of time to be able to to stop in a place for a couple of weeks just because it's drop-dead gorgeous. Mm. So people's personal conditions make everybody different. But I think one of the things that we all have in common, besides a desire to, to ride our bikes and explore, is curiosity. Well, you mentioned a few things in there that one of them was it was time that you said, you know, there's no rush and, and you can just stay there and enjoy the thing. You know, is, is that part of what you need for, for adventure? Because like you just mentioned, pe- some people don't have that time. I think the word adventure is different in everybody's minds. Um, for me, ad- adventure is the opportunity to take advantage of possibilities. So, for example, that side turning and you think, oh, that looks interesting. Let's go down there and see what happens. And Africa, for example, is about 7,000 miles long. And I ended up riding 22,000 miles just because I could explore those side turnings. And that, to me, is wonderful. But I think the most important thing is that people get out of their home environments and they go and explore in whatever way they can with whatever time they've got. Why? What do you, what do you want them to see? I want to see perspective. I want them to discover the surprises. I want to discover who they really are, the, the, the abilities that they've got. But I also want them to go back to their own countries and think, wow, um, all the things that I'd taken for granted. And because it just adds a, a huge layer of appreciation. Um, because, yeah, ordinary everyday life where we are in one place before we set out and travel, yeah, of course it comes back and it's everyday life again. But it's it's the things like... Being able to drink the water straight from the tap, uh, being able to open a fridge door and get a cold beer when you want one, rather than having to pick up a warm beer from a, a street corner stall. You know, all of those sorts of things. But um, what you're referring to, though, is is visiting um, probably impoverished places, at least in, in comparison to where you come from, to get that sort of feeling, that, that um, recognition or appreciation of the things that you have at home. No, not necessarily. Um, you can be in a first world country, a developed country. Yeah, I'm not sure if I ever like this first world business. In a, in a very well developed country and find things there that make you think, actually, I like how we've got it at home. Or conversely, this is kind of cool. Why do we do this at home? Th- those sorts of things. So no, it doesn't have to just be a, a developing world country. I picked water because it's something that we do take for granted, isn't it, in, in most developed countries, that we can drink the tap water. One of the other things you mentioned when I asked you about um, uh, you know, what travel is to you, is you mentioned the motorcycle in there, and you talked about the motorcycle being important, or at least for you, for, for the travel experience. Is it always motorcycle travel? Is the beauty of, of travel, your, your travel experience, inexplicably connected to motorcycles, or, or, or are they at least an essential ingredient for it? I'm a bit of an addict, I'm afraid. Um, I've I've travelled in in many ways. My first trip was with a bicycle and then um, I hitchhiked and hiked and bussed and trained and sailed a bit and just every single way that I could think of of travelling. I bought a a beat-up old uh, station wagon in Australia and bounced around in that for a while, literally. Um, And it just, yeah, I loved travelling. For me, it's, it's the whole thing about going out and discovering and learning. But when I decided to have a go at motorcycling, when I was looking for a different way to travel, yeah, within um, the first six months, I just just thought, wow, this is a phenomenal way to travel. And um, yeah, I've been stuck with it ever since with a big grin. 
You know, that's, that's an interesting thing that you just said there. So that, what that tells us is, is that all modes of travel lead to the, the Holy Grail, which is the motorcycle. I like that. <laughs> it all started for you back, as you said, that, that trip you're talking about back in the early 90s, when you sort of took a, a left turn, you were, you were working, I think you're working in, in retail, you, you were absorbed in your job. Can you just talk about that briefly? I traveled a lot during my lifetime and um, I really liked it. It was where I was me, uh, just the, every, the everyday and adventure thing. But um, after a, tri- a three-year trip, I got home and I started thinking, well, hey, you know, maybe, maybe you ought to um, get it stuck into a career. And my training had been in retail management. I'd had very good training when I was uh, in my early 20s. And I thought, well, actually, I know that and I like it. It's fun helping people. Um, why don't I get stuck back into that? And so I did. It took me a long time to get a job because with my CV uh, and all of the gaps in it due to various adventures, I'm sure most of the, of the employers were getting out the crosses and cloves of garlic. And um, I was being filed into the circular bin on the floor fairly rapidly. You were probably looked at as somebody who wasn't very reliable, who, you know, oh, exactly. sort of fl- flits around. That, just before you go on that, that three-year trip, that, w- that wasn't by motorcycle. No, no, that was um, backpacking. Mm-hmm. I spent the first year of that hitchhiking around um, Europe, but I decided to do it uh, with trucks. So I only took lifts in trucks. And uh, that was a, just a brilliant thing to, to do. Uh, you see the world in a, in a very different way from the cab of a truck. And not only from the viewpoint, but also the places that truck drivers go, the loads they're carrying, uh, the places they stop, the places they're delivering. You see the, the I don't know, the, the hidden world when you're traveling in a truck. It was, it was a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. You left on your trip with a motorcycle as a, as a brand new rider. You've fallen in love. You, you said now that you're an addict. You see that as the ultimate form of travel. When, when did the motorcycle really... When, or when did you recognize the fact that the motorcycle was really the ultimate form of travel? Or when did you fall in love with it? Um, not your bike, but the bike. I suppose about four and a half months into the first year of what turned out to be the eight-year trip. That was when I realized that I was no longer afraid of my bike. Setting off as a complete novice. I was just hanging on to the thing and it was telling me what to do and I was just desperately trying not to fall off. I had very, very little training and that meant that everything was a challenge. But I took it very steadily. So every time I did something that was wrong, usually throwing me on the ground, then I took the time out to analyse. Well, you know, what did I do? What went wrong? Was it the angle? Was it the speed? Um, Was it because I was top heavy? And a lot of my accidents in the first days were because I had far too much gear and I was top heavy. But when I started to realise that actually I wasn't fearing dirt roads and then I all of a sudden could... I found myself wanting to go off and explore more into the to, to the back roads and um, the places that are off the the beaten track, and that was when I started to realise, yeah, the the flexibility of this is fantastic. Because before, if I wanted to do it, I would have been waiting uh, for a bus, um, and then I would have perhaps sent spent the next day traveling in a, a beat up old bus designed for 36 people, but carrying 48 plus um, goats and chickens and um, no suspension and all of the rest of it. And that's fine. That is an adventure. It's quite amazing. The relationships that you can build up and the places that you find yourself when you're traveling like that. 
but it's not the same as being able to wake up in the morning and think, right, cup of tea, something to eat, and I'm off. And then the adventure's going, it's just rolling, and you've got the ability to stop and start and so on. And that actually was an important part of it for me, because being able to stop wherever I wanted to, more or less, and enjoy where I was, even if it was only for 10 minutes, was just the flexibility, the the opportunity that that gave me was wonderful. You said flexibility twice there as far as the bike. And that sounds so utilitarian. I'm talking about your love for the motorcycle. If you, if I, if I pin you down to one word or, or sort of corner you into using just one word, what would it be? There's a long silence here because I'm quite a slow thinker. So I'm thinking about this hard. It's passion. The relationship that I built up with my bike as I started to learn it and it started to learn me. Um, we became really good friends and to many people that will sound completely soppy and absolutely suck. But it's true. The more I travelled on my own, the more the bike would talk to me, as in, I don't like what you're doing to me, um, or um, I'm getting a bit low on oil, or whatever else it might be. Um, I could hear it and I could feel it. And um, yeah, I used to I used to encourage it along, come on girl. Um, we can do this bit. I know it's going to be hard. And I have one image that pops into my mind right now, uh, a section in northern Kenya, uh, things we're talking Kenya, where the road turned from gravel into really soft sand. And I couldn't see where this sand ended in spite of a few acacia trees dotting the landscape. And I thought, wow, this is going to be very hard for somebody with my ability. So yeah, I encouraged her and she encouraged me and we made it through with a big grin. And I didn't drop it either. After um, eight years on the road, you came home with a mate, Birgit, who you met on the road. Then you decided to, well, I mean, I guess at that point you come back and you figure out you've got to do something. It's back to reality, or, or at least most people's reality. It's either get a job or do something. But you decided to write a book. So what was the idea of writing your first book? Was that just an attempt to, to keep that, that travel adventure fire burning and, and maybe avoid falling into the routine that everyone else is doing all around you? Yeah, I guess in a way it was, but in another way, uh, when we got back, uh, we spent a couple of years renovating semi-derelict houses and then I got into a career path. But travel's part of me. It's it's a big part of who I am and it's a big part of my passion. And people kept on saying to me, as a result of the magazine articles I'd been writing, when are you going to write a book? I, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I had no idea if I had the ability to do something like that. Um, I had a rubbish grade at school, but I thought, well, look, this is just going to be another adventure. If you don't try, then you'll never find out if you can. And this is one of the most beautiful things about being out on the road for a really long trip is you're confronted so frequently with situations that say, wow, this is scary. You don't have the the talent to do this or how on earth are you going to do this? And you try it because... You have to. And then you soon learn not to fear those opportunities because they turn into opportunities. And when people were saying to me, come on, we, we want to know what happened. I thought, well, okay, I'm not going to fear this. It is an opportunity. I'll have a go. If I fall off and have to find another route, then so be it. Let's have a go. And to my amazement, people liked my first book, Into Africa. And then the questions were coming to me, well, what happened next? So I was doing this. I was writing uh, while I was um, putting in full day's work. Um, and I was writing, um, I didn't even know how to use a computer when I started writing. Um, yeah, that was an interesting challenge too. 
Do you, do you call yourself a writer now? Is that how you like when you meet somebody in the street? Is that how you describe yourself or, or introduce yourself? Yes. Yeah, you're a yes. writer. So it's back- usually two. It's usually two words. Uh, I'm a, a motorcycle traveler and writer. So actually, that's three. Four. Hmm. So, um, so you're, you're a writer now. Back then, obviously, you weren't. No formal training as as being no. a, a writer. You went into Africa. Then you did Under Asian Skies. Distant Suns, and finally Tortillas to Totems. That was that was the final book wrapping up mm-hmm. the big trip. Yes. Then you headed home. So a number of years passed since that that last book came out that so many of us have enjoyed. Before your next big project that I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about, this book called The Moment Collectors. Why so long? It's anybody who is a one-man business will know exactly what I'm talking about in that being an independent author is a bit like being um, a one-man band. You know those one-man bands that you sometimes see in the street with the foot banging a drum and the elbow clashing yeah, the cymbal? Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and you look at them, you think, how can they move all those things in all those different directions? I know exactly what you're talking and about. And they're making music, aren't they? And yeah. it's really good music. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, it's a challenge. And that's a little bit what it's like being an independent author. You have to do absolutely everything, but with the help of your friends. Uh, So along the way, um, I've met people who have helped me with the graphics and with cover designs and with layout work and all of those sorts of things. And this is one of the things that I've grown to love about making a book happen. It's all of the people that I'm meeting along the way. But the, the, the moment collectors came about because... People were saying to me, come on, Sam, when's the next book coming out? We loved the first four, but what about another one? But I was too busy. Um, And then, well, COVID hit and I realised that I was going to lose 70% of my income as a result because, you know, a lot of my income was coming from doing presentations and being out and about, doing book signings at shows and bookshops and that sort of thing. So I spent the first year of lockdown with um, heavy restrictions and just concentrating on trying to build the awareness of my books in as many new places as I could, but without the ability to be face-to-face with people. But all the time I was doing this, I was just itching on the ask from people about a new book. And I started to realise also that there was um, a large amount of negativity that was floating around during those early days of COVID. And I started to think, well, actually, I want to do something that's positive. So I sat down to write and I wanted to have both fun and share both the challenges of um, uh, the buzz and the challenges of long distance travel. Um, I, I got five chapters in and each chapter was uh, a different story uh, from a shorter journey that Birgit and I had made, because of course we weren't doing an eight-year trip or anything like that. This this is of a different book you're talking about, five chapters mm, in. It is. And I got to five chapters in and I didn't like what I was doing. The chapters were great. They were, I was having fun with them, but there was just something wrong all of the time. And I stood back for um, a fair few weeks and one day it clicked that I was writing a me book, but putting an us book together would be a stack more fun, perhaps more relevant even. But how on earth was I going to do that? And who would I ask to be involved? And how could I make it unusual? And what on earth would I call it? So that was when the whole thing about writing The Moment Collectors started to come together. And there was quite a long series of thoughts that went into this pre-stage 
the first thought was that I wanted to be very much uh, a book of international travel. So it had to have at least five continents. And so it is Africa, Asia, Europe, South America, and North America. Um, if it was going to be an international book, then it would be great fun to have authors from different nationalities. And we have. If you count me as being an Anglo-African, then that's um, seven authors. But if we're being sane, then it's six. Um, but I also wanted the book to be different in that not only would I want to have word pictures created in it, but I wanted to have illustrations. And all four of my books have got illustrations. But the, the thought was in my mind, what if we were to make it a feature of this book? And that was when I got in touch with Overlander author, artist and illustrator Simon Roberts. And the moment Collectors has 70 illustrations. The next difficult thing was working on a title because one of the things that I've done with my books is I've, I've had a working title and that kind of has guided me in the right direction um, through the project. It's almost like a goal, um, a guiding line. And quite often the, the title is, is not the title that I've ended up with. Um, but, you know, I had to have that. And it is one of the hardest things to do with a book because you have to choose a title. It has to grab the reader. It has to explain something that's going on. And ideally, it shouldn't have been used by anybody else. And I started to think about what it is that overlanders actually do. In fact, anybody on a big trip. And we seldom remember full days, do we? Because we're on intake overload. But we do remember moments that stand out in a day. And there it was, the title. I was going to write um, a book called The Moment Collectors and I was going to ask potential contributing authors if they would write a chapter about a moment from one of their journeys which suddenly brought to life why they were out there doing what they were doing. Um, and yeah, it, it, all of those things just clicked into place. Bang, 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 bang. But I, I had other things that I wanted to make happen within the book too. I decided that I wanted to have it as much as possible, like the full mix that you get when you're out on the road. So you meet people that are hugely experienced globe riders, right the way down to people who are just setting out. So I, I wanted to have authors who were covering the full spectrum, but I also wanted to have people who were riding two up, um, riding solo or riding on two bikes. Um, I wanted to have people who were experienced riders and not so experienced riders. And so it went on. There were so many things that I could wrap up in this full mix to, to make criteria for the book. And my goodness, didn't I set myself an easy task in inverted commas? <laughs> but that's been part of the fun of making this happen, just bringing all of these things together. So the, these are short stories. This is kind of like this is kind of like one of those 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 cereal packs you get. I don't know if you get them in the UK. You get the cereal pack. It's got the I think six boxes, and they're all different kinds of cereal, all really good cereals, but all different kinds. Just to give you a taste, you open them up and you can eat it right out of the box. You pour your milk in. We used to have them as a kid. Do you, do you get those? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it was, it's kind of like that. The, the, the variety collectors, packs. Right, variety pack. Yeah, the, the moment collectors is almost like that because that's what you get, a short story from each person written in um, sort of their own tongue uh, about their own adventure. None of them really related other than the fact that I guess the common thread is motorcycles and travel. Correct. Um, and that, that buzzy moment when they're out on the road. And each chapter includes... The, the story about what leads up to, to that moment in their lives. Um, and there is cracking stories in this. Do you think it's the cream of the crop? Do, do you think it's like all, you, you never ever watch those movie trailers where you, it's like they show the whole movie right at the start. You've seen all the best little parts. Have they all given you the, the cream of the crop, the, the cream of their story? No, 
all of these guys have got loads of stories which are just really special. Um, be they be they a person who's been out on the road for a year or two, or right to the way of somebody who's been out there for sixteen or seventeen years. Um, travel just gives you um, these amazing stories to tell. It seems to me as I read your stories or, or this story, your story in the Moment Collectors, that uh, you talk a lot about what you've seen in detail, experiencing small things like um, running your fingers through some some glacier water, um, and as if you're traveling very, very slowly. Is that what happens for you? Or, or like, do you actually do that? Or is this just sort of reflecting in slow motion to give the, you know, for the benefit of the reader, like, like a photographer does, a photographer has to work hard to try and capture a scene in a way that you probably don't quite see it when you're there, but it's a way to try and portray what you're really feeling at the time. I'm not quite sure if I, if I understand the question, but for example, that moment in the, with the glacier uh, water, uh, it stood out in my mind because it was something that I'd never done before. And there I was, and this this wonderfully opaque, turquoisey, jadey green um, glacier melt. And there it was, me, putting my hand in something like this, which was something far removed from anything I'd particularly experienced before. So that was a moment in the day that stood out. And so it had to go into my story. Mm, it stands out before. That, that's sort of what I'm looking for is, it, is all these little moments. Because you, you break down in, in some incredible detail. It's, it's beautifully written of the stuff. I mean, you talk about going in to see some cabins, um, which are called what? What are the cabins called? Hutter. Putters. Um, yep. and, and you're talking about, you sort of give a, an explanation or, or a, a word picture of what this place looks like. Is that how you experience it at the moment uh, is, is what I'm wondering is, do you go in and you actually have that moment, almost like a euphoric moment where you're standing there looking around and really taking this stuff in? Or is it afterwards? Like it'd be an incredible moment. I'm not taking away from that, but I mean, is it afterwards that you sort of really work through what you've seen? The years of travel have, ta- have taught me uh, to take the, um, the, the, the moment's out to actually stop and look wherever I am. And there are some things that demand you do it, such as the inside of this hutter that we were in. And other places, it's become habit to, to stop and take it in because you get on intake overload because so much is happening so quickly when you're traveling and you need to take the time out to, to stop and absorb where you are because the adventure begins as soon as you leave home. Uh, it doesn't wait until you're two months into a journey Every day there are things that are special happening. And the important thing is that you don't ride on past these things, to me anyway, uh, that you take the time to, to see and observe and, and just to think about them a little bit. And just describing the inside of that hutter, for example, and soaking up the history that was on display, that to me was, was special. And that was in the moment. I mean, that's what you're talking about, living in the moment sort of, right? I mean, much like mm-hmm. I guess we should live our, our entire lives, but it's something I think you would have to work at to do this a lot anyway, because when you're riding somewhere, it's easy to get caught up in the ride and where you're going next. And the, and the fact that you might have to, you know, have whatever paperwork done before you get somewhere and sort of miss those moments until you're able to reflect on them. Like we do with life sometimes where you look back and you, you sort of lament the, Oh geez, I, you know, that was great when I did that rather than really experiencing it in the moment. One of the beauties about travel is that once you've been doing it for a while, you learn to slow down and take the time out to look at those uh, different situations during a day. But for me, the most important thing is writing my journal every day because that's when I'm sitting down while everything's still fresh and clear in my mind. 
and I'm able to write about those things. Sometimes, you know, I've, I'm in the mood to write and I'll write two or three pages describing what I've been up to that day and the things that I've seen and smelt and tasted and so on, people I've met. Um, but other times, yeah, it's busy. So I don't have the chance to write in depth, but I always write down key, 20 key words because those are usually enough to bring back um, a special moment. And if it's, if, it's, um, if it's a special moment, it's in your mind. The key is not to let the intake overload mean that the new experiences layer on top and then you lose what you've, you've been involved with. So, for example, in my diary, I wrote that particular day because it was a busy day, um, Hutter, history, um, hearts on walls. And because part of the decor in this hut, in this hutter, were some uh, pottery hearts which had been painted in, in traditional Norwegian style, um, and just those memories brought everything flooding back. So I could write about it. Is that is that for future material, or or is that sort of to solidify the memory for yourself? Solidify the memory, and I also find that when I'm sitting doing this. I'm seeing things that have happened during the day that sometimes I hadn't particularly taken notice of. So, for example, there was one day standing in a post office in Kenya. It's not related to this story, but there I was waiting in, in the long queue to get my mail from Post Restante. And I was standing observing the people around me and I always carry a paper journal. So I was just jotting down notes on these different people. But when I went back to my journal at the end of the day to write some other descriptions, I was standing imagining the view or re-seeing the view in my mind of that queue. And there was a lady that I hadn't written anything about because she wasn't directly in the queue, but she was watching people as cl as closely as I was watching. And um, it was just, yeah, she just popped back into my mind and she became a special memory. The Moment Collectors, this, this brand new book that you have out, what do you hope that readers get from this? I hope that people get... Uh, lots of I didn't know that moment. I hope that people get um, some fun out of it because a lot of these stories are fun. In fact, they are all fun, although some of them have got some really gnarly moments in them. I hope that people are encouraged to think, actually, you know, in spite of all the doom and gloom we hear about this world of ours, it's a magic place and people are great. And yes, of course, there's no smoke without fire. Um, think this world isn't perfect. Of course it's not. But I would love people to think things can go wrong out there, but it's what you do with those situations when they go wrong. It's how you deal with them. And those moments can usually turn into something that's very special. Just don't panic. Don't be afraid. Look out for the unexpected adventure that's just about to happen. And this book is full of those unexpected adventures. It is part of the fun of it. But it's not just about things that go wrong. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Well, Sam, I, I'm, I'd like to congratulate you on, on this book. I mean, it's amazing. I am so pleased. I'm one of those people who've been asking you about another book, as you know. And uh, I, I'm just so pleased that, uh, that you have this thing out. And, and I hope it does great. Well, thank you very much. And you, yeah, quite right. Uh, you have been constantly nudging me uh, to do this. So thank you very much. And I would like to thank all the other people who've been doing exactly the same thing because, yeah, what was I saying just now about getting wrapped up in, in doing other things and not taking the time out to actually make something happen? 
But listen, can, can I just pay due credit to everybody that has been involved in making this project happen? It's uh, the authors, they have been absolutely fantastic working with me on this and just giving up their time to do it and, and sharing um, so many personal moments, so much fun. Um, it's, it's, they have been a gem to work with. And so I'm, I'm really chuffed. It has been a huge part of the fun of putting this book together. But it's not only um, the authors. Oh, hang on a minute. Did I say only the authors? That didn't sound right, did it? You get what I mean. It's also been the other people involved with it. So uh, Simon uh, Roberts, who did the illustrations, Susan Dragoo and Paul Smith for their work with me on the editing. And then you've got um, proofreaders, um, Jill Bolton and Birgit Schunemann. And um, then the cover designs by Phil Schianini. The cover photo, that's from Mitnus Olivier. And the foreword is by Lois Price. Sam, great to talk. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. I was speaking with Sam Manicom from his home in the UK. His website is sam-manicom.com. The book is called The Moment Collectors. Of course, the link to his website and the name of the book is in the show notes for this episode. going to take just a quick break while I tell you about a few things. But when we come back, we have some authors that are included in the book. We're going to talk a little bit about the book, but we're going to talk about the authors and what they do and their experience. Stay with us. It's called Moto Camp Nerd. Moto Camp Nerd. It's a motorcycle camping store. Actually, they call it the motorcycle camping store because they say it's the only one of its kind. And and I've looked around. I haven't seen anything like this before either. I, I really like this. Moto Camp Nerd is the brainchild of Ben and Mary Williams from Trinity, North Carolina. And what they've done is they've made a store that focuses 100% on motorcycle camping gear. That's it. That's what they do. Uh, they stock the gear as well. They don't drop ship it. it it's, it's right from their store. And um, they stock quality gear. In fact, they're authorized dealers for brands like Nemo, Big Agnes, and Sea to Summit. Ben and Mary, the owners, are also motorcycle campers. So when you're dealing with Moto Camp Nerd, you're dealing with riders that care very much about what they're doing. Husband and wife team, much like Elizabeth and myself here. And you know, this could solve a lot of dilemmas for riders when trying to decide on gear. I mean, we hear questions like this all the time. Which tent is best suited for motorcycle camping? Which one's the best to pack? Well, go by their website. It's called motocampnerd.com. You're going to find gear that only suits motorcycle camping. So they've looked at it. They've thought about it. They didn't just stock stuff. They've actually thought about this stuff and checked it out. Probably tried everything, I would imagine, and found stuff that works best for us riders. And Ben and Mary are also there to answer your questions. So if you have any questions about, you know, what you should be getting or maybe the difference between whatever, shoot them an email, send them a message, and they say they're happy to deal with that. Motocampnerd.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Motocampnerd.com. You already know what cold feet feel like, and you probably also know that once they're cold, they're almost impossible to get warm again. But what you may not know is that Pearly's Possum Socks are the cure for cold feet. 
Pearly's uses a special blend of merino wool and possum fur knitted together into a fine shape that's designed specifically for motorcycling. They are the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, not because of the ads. They get the ads anyway. I made them the official sock because I was so blown away by how good they are, how well they perform for me. So I gave them that title. Grab a pair for yourself and stave off those cold feet. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. If you're serious about riding, then you have to have serious foot pegs because foot pegs are your connection to control your bike. Tools for serious riders. IMS Products has a full set of adventure motorcycle foot pegs ranging from their extra large ultra wide ADV1 and ADV2 pegs on down to their core series. Each peg is designed specifically for a purpose. Drop by their website, imsproducts.com, and let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And then get the added leverage, comfort, and control through the IMS foot pegs. It'll take your skill to the next level. imsproducts.com. My name is uh, Spencer James Conway. I'm from Eswatini. If people don't know where that is, it's, uh, it was formerly Swaziland in Southern Africa, and that's been changed now. And uh, I'm an adventure motorcyclist by, by tradition and by job. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the job of an adventure motorcyclist? And, and how did you get paid for that? Oh, sure, absolutely. It's a combination of things, Jim. Um, it's, uh, obviously, I had my TV programs, um, which obviously went on Travel Channel, the Africa ones. The um, South America ones have been sold to airlines, believe it or not, even though no one's flying anywhere. Uh, so I get some money from that. And then also I do magazine articles. And uh, obviously I've got my Africa book, um, The Japanese Speaking Curtain Maker. And when I spoke to you last time, I was just finishing off my other book, uh, which is done now. So that's my second one, which is The Zimbabwean Psychiatrist's Hat. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, it's a trickle. It's um, a trickle of money, but it keeps us going. Where are you right now? You're not going to believe this, Jim. We're in exactly the same place that we were when you interviewed us last time. It's, it, yeah, it's pure coincidence. Uh, we drove into this town. Uh, well, basically, I, you know, I got a message to have a chat uh, a few days back, and we were driving towards this same town, Puerto Escondido, in Oaxaca, in Mexico, on the south coast, because we have um, a very sort of cheap bolt hole here. In fact, right now I'm sitting in a cupboard in, uh, behind reception because uh, in our room there is no internet whatsoever. So we've been rushing around like blue-ass flies um, trying to get this connected up, but, but we've done it. So yeah, was, we've been um, traveling around Mexico and filming around Mexico and actually trying to set up some bike tours. Oh, wow. So you're even expanding into something else. It's interesting because you've sort of carved out a, a life doing this and centering around motorcycle and adventure. Obviously, it keeps you on the road all the time. Don't you, don't you also have a, um, a, a biker's uh, a getaway or something? Um, I would say that this, this place that we're at now has become our sort of rest place. And in fact, uh, believe it or not, Jim, um, I was in uh, the Adwan in Customs um, a while back. And there was a chap there causing a great deal of trouble. And uh, I threw him out because the security guard was very, very small. So um, I picked up the offending man and threw him out on the street. And believe it or not, um, we have now got four years residency. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're seen favorable because you helped with security. Well, wow, that's, that's yes, pretty good. I'm not saying it was corruption. It wasn't corruption. It was just because we helped them out. We became friends with them. We went back and asked for the six months extension and they said, do you guys want four years? So we were like, yes, please. <laughs> 
So wow. as talking about a bolt hole, this is our bolt hole. But the only reason I tried to carve out a career in this because I just don't want to go back to teaching. I mean, I used to be a teacher. I love it. Uh, but I'm not a suit and tie uh, in an office kind of person. And I knew uh, that I was doing the wrong thing. I mean, I wasn't a bad teacher, but uh, I just knew I was in the wrong profession. And when I finally decided in 2009 to try and get involved with uh, motorcycles, I just said to myself, that I'm not turning back on this. So I'm just trying to get as many things done as I can, you know. Um, it's great with you as well, the support you've given me for so long. And like, like I said before, books, uh, magazines, um, shows, that kind of thing. And I'm just, I'm going to crack on until I keel over and die. <laughs> well, I guess what's what we have to do anyway, isn't it? <laughs> we have yeah, to just exactly. keep going. So. Hey, well, you, you're a real uh, lover of extreme sports. Can you talk about that? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I don't know why. Well, my father is a mountain climber, um, and uh, quite a famous one, actually. And uh, he's, he's summited a lot of, a lot of big peaks. Uh, he's also a long-distance marathon runner. Um, he's uh, run for England for about 40 years. He's been the champion in his age category for the last 20 years. Uh, he was into mountain climbing. Uh, it, it was just, it was the way we were brought up, really. Um, and I've been, I've been, I'm into skiing, I'm into whitewater rafting, I'm a cliff rescue instructor. Uh, I used to work for the Swansea Coast Guard. I just like being outdoors and I like pushing myself a little bit to the extreme, which is, uh, yeah, which is part of um, what I wrote in, 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 an, in another book. Uh, uh, I did a, a chapter in another book, which you might know about possibly <laughs> <laughs> absolutely the, the the moment collectors it's very cool and and you've got a chapter in there it's uh, you talk about um well what do you talk about uh basically what sam said to us was uh give us one of those inspirational moments one of those you never forget moments that doesn't happen all the time you know sometimes we have a struggle and then you go around a corner and there's just an amazing view or you meet a certain person etc so i got the premise of what he was talking about so i decided to pick two people one of them was Slavik, who was a cameraman, a Polish... Uh, he wasn't a cameraman, but uh, we had to film a Dakar and I didn't have a cameraman. And unfortunately, I didn't realise that he had a couple of, um, let's say, mental health issues. And uh, when we got to the Dakar, when we were supposed to be filming, I was getting all set up and prepared and I heard the crowd screaming and I thought, OK, here we go, the, uh, the bikes are coming. And I turned around and... Um, Slavic was showing uh, 5,000 people his bum. He was, doing, he was doing a Mooney. So they were shouting to him. So I, you know, of course, I said, Slavic, you can't do that. You know, this is a very conservative country. This is ridiculous. Behave yourself. So he apologized. And then five minutes later, he took all his clothes off, ran past the whole crowd, threw into the desert. But by this time, the police and the army had um, sussed him out. And uh, they chased him and rugby tackled him into the sand. And then they took him off and locked him. In, um, in a metal container in, in the heat. So obviously our next job was to try and get him out, but we didn't know what was going on because we didn't really know him very well. We'd only met him two days before. And uh, anyway, to cut a, a long story and a very funny story short, actually, he did have some problems, but the reason it's an inspirational story is because we got him out of jail. Uh, he got really upset. He felt that we'd abandoned him. You know, he did a bit of Van Damme kicking around the place. Um, and after that, I stayed in touch and, uh, he opened a mental health, um, sort of group for motorcyclists in Poland and it's doing great. And he, he said to me, we talk a lot. 
He said motorcyclists and the motorcycle world totally changed his life and helped him through really difficult times. And I just thought that was really great to hear um, that a community like ours can help like that. And by coincidence, there's another group called Mental Health Motorbikes in England, who I've also joined up with. And it's a similar thing. It's just providing support for people who've got some issues. So that was the first person um, in my chapter. And, and so how, how does that give you the feeling of um, that's why you want to be out on the road or sort of the essence of being on the road, which is what the Moment Collectors is, is all about? Absolutely. In that case, it was meeting someone who was struggling with issues, but had got on the road, had enjoyed it, had met up with other bikers. And, you know, Jim, obviously what comes to mind is Jeremy Croker, uh, Motorcycle Therapy, which is a fantastic name. You know his book, of yeah. course. And that's exactly what it was. And, and that was why I was inspired. I thought to myself, you know, um, you know, I, I've also got about 12 personalities, Jim. So, uh, it helps me on the road. The motorbikes help me. I'm at my happiest when I just don't need to think. Uh, you're focusing on what you're doing. You're dealing with the danger. You're dealing with the technical side of it and the weather and everything. And yes, it is a bit of an escape. But then when you hear that someone else, like Slavic, it's changed his life. It gave him something to hang on to and a community to be part of. So yeah, that's, that, that's the reason why he stuck in my memory. When you say 12 personalities, is, is that tongue in cheek? Uh, no, I, I've got a few issues. Don't we all? I've, I've, been, I've been hyperactive um, all my life. I sleep for three hours a night. Is that right? Um, You're one of those people who can get by on very few hours of sleep. Uh, I don't know about get by. That's probably what my problem is. But yeah, um, I, you know, Maggie Thatcher, I don't know if you've heard of her, mm -hmm. <laughs> the famous British prime minister. I beat her because she used to sleep four hours a night. Um, but luckily I'm not a prime minister, so I won't be messing up any countries with my lack of sleep. So, I mean, I, I get the hyper thing. I've always got that with, with you. I, I think you can just hear it in your voice. Uh, it's, it's actually, it's exciting. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, so, so the, you do that every night, three hours of sleep every night? Yeah. I, I, I don't have a switch off. Unfortunately, I don't have a switch off button, but I've got used to it. Uh, the biggest problem is for Kathy, but she's got used to it too. Cause she knows that I'll be in another room with the lights on. I'm sorry. There is a truck going past. Uh, selling milk, and they tend to play cows mooing. I don't know if it's ruining the sound for you. Do, do you need to go get the milk? Or, no, <laughs> no, it's just passing in the street. Okay. But to get back to that, yeah, I've got used to it. I suppose if it was nowadays and I was a young lad, they'd be filling me with ADHD tablets and Xanax and all sorts of nonsense, but uh, that's not for me. I prefer to use my manicness and try and be a bit creative if possible. Well, you would think that three hours of sleep, though, a night would really not, I mean, it would catch up to you. Oh, um, yeah, well, I'm 54 now, so, and it hasn't caught up yet, so I'll just crack on with that. Um, oh, so you're good. So you must be one of those people who can just get by on, the, on a few hours of sleep. I've heard this very rare condition of people who get by with with um, such short hours of sleep. And that's absolutely. A, it's like, um, for, for example, I mean, when we've been riding, say, eight, ten hours, um, when we set up camp and everything, uh, within two minutes, I look into the tent and Kathy's fast asleep. And there I am wandering through forests and uh, making barbecues and fixing the bike. And then it gets dark and then I get my head torch and, and I start doing something else. And then about three o'clock, half past three in the morning, I'll go to sleep and I'll get up at half past six. I have to say I'm, I'm somewhat jealous because you can get so much more done in a day. But yeah, hey, how, long, how many years have you been traveling like this? Um, well, to, uh, September the 1st, to, sorry, November the 1st, 2009, 
was when we left for Africa. So um, it was uh, a year and a bit in Africa. And then obviously we went to South America and we ended up there for three years. And then we did Central America, which is a year or so. And we've been in Mexico over two years now. So it's, it's been fairly constant. We did go back, of course. Um, unfortunately, my mum passed away. Uh, so I went back for that. That ruined me. Uh, and uh, went back for a couple of shows and a few interviews. But basically been, been at it since 2009. This story that you wrote for, for the book that Sam put together, The Moment Collectors, that's got to be just one of, I want to say dozens, maybe thousands of, of stories you could have by being on the road the length of time that you've been on the road. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it's really to, to write books, you said about being an author. I never knew I'd be one, but I find it really cathartic uh, because, you know, you can let your own emotions out as well when you're writing. And it's, uh, I like to be really honest. I don't write about sprockets and chains and oil problems. I write about people and how I feel and the people I meet. Uh, I don't even really talk that much about nature, etc. I love animals. I talk about the animals. But yeah, thousands of stories. And it's just picking the best ones. I mean, my new book's got 23 chapters and 23 separate stories. Um, so it's a little bit different. The Africa one was more like a travelogue of getting around Africa. But this one, I picked 23 really odd stories and popped them in there. With this, this chapter that you have in The Moment Collectors, um, what are you illustrating to the reader? What, what are you, um, what's the point of the story? Um, I mentioned uh, Slavic to you. He's the one character. And then there's another chap called Joey, uh, Joey Evans from South Africa. And he's a friend of mine. And he was a motocross rider from very young, just like I was. But he had some talent, which I didn't. And he, ca he carried on. Um, unfortunately, he's also like me. He's quite unlucky. And he had a very, very serious crash. And uh, he was driven over by 20 other bikers. And uh, he, was, he broke his back. And uh, he was paralyzed from the neck down. And the, and the doctors told him he had a 10% chance of walking. So uh, obviously that totally changed his life. But Joey's one of these guys that never gives up. And uh, over 10 years, he did rehabilitation, everything. And he didn't only just manage to walk a few steps, he managed to walk properly. And then his friends lifted him onto a motorbike and he started riding. And that's not all, Jen. He went a step further and he entered the Dakar Valley and he completed it. So he went from Para to Paris, to the Paris Dakar. So unbelievable. And it doesn't even finish there, you know. He completed the Dakar and then he was invited by Lyndon Poskett, who I'm sure you've heard of, to be in the Africa Eco Race, which is the old Dakar Rally. So he entered that and being Joey, what did he do this time? He hit a camel. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, absolutely unbelievable, split his head open and uh, uh, event his bike was in a total mess. Um, he found another bike in the desert from uh, another guy who'd entered and had given up and had been medivaced out by helicopter. He took parts off that bike, put them on his bike and completed the race. So um, the, the, the gist behind both of my stories are that when you meet motorcyclists, they can be of the Slavic type who just like touring slowly and meeting friends, but it changes their whole life because it creates a community. And the same with someone like Joey. He's inspirational in a different way. He's inspirational to me as an extreme sportsman, and it just happens to be um, motorcycling. Uh, it's, to me, it's this never give up attitude because 
You know, it doesn't matter what job you've got. You go through tough times. You have times where you want to quit. I'm not talking about just motorcycling, anything. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just a lesson to keep going um, and push on through hard times, basically, if you have that. Well, you and your story is inspiration, I'm sure, for a lot of people when they hear it. So, you know, anytime you, you write a story like this, it gives people an insight into the life that you're living. And, and it's, uh, it's really interesting and it is inspirational. Spencer, great to sit down and talk with you for a few minutes. And thanks very much for coming on the show. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, Jim. Um, and best of luck to you. And I'll give you a shout when I do something else very special, if I do. I look forward <laughs> to it. Okay, buddy. Nice to talk to you. Eh? Superb. Well, that was Spencer Conway on the road at a motel somewhere in Mexico. His website is spencer-conway.com, and that link is also in the show notes for this episode. Indeed, my name is Tim Notier. And I'm Marissa Notier. And we call our little adventure Notier's Frontiers, and uh, we've spent... Uh, about four years on the road on our KTM 1190, all the way from Chicago down to the tip of South America and then halfway up the African continent. Now we're exploring the North American continent and we want to venture up to the top of Alaska next and then Europe, Central Asia and beyond. So you're not traveling though right now, are you? You sort of you're in a, you're in a hiatus because last time we talked, we had you on the show not all that long ago, and um, mm-hmm. you'd sort of said goodbye to Africa, and um, I think your visas ran out, and and now you're, you're <laughs> yeah. regrouping back at home. Well, we're we're taking this time to recollect funds. It's also a good time to see friends and family. Um, we like to come home about every two years anyway. So just the timing was right. Our bank account to to try to replenish that that timing was was pretty right too so also we think as far as traveling internationally goes it's a lot easier when you only have two countries to deal with um the united states and canada in order to get to alaska so we're going to try that out for this year and then um explore further you mean because of covid is that what you're talking about yeah and just border we we have some buddies out in europe right now um the adventure hacks and we love them we traveled with them throughout south america um, and we know other people are, 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 and have been roaming around Yeah, Europe. Travis and Chantel. Yeah. But, um, we're always up for a challenge, but, uh, the challenges always seem to present themselves even in, in the best of times. And so it would be nice to see how the world kind of, you know, fits yeah. in 2022, 2023. And, and hopefully that will be a, a better time for us. At least we will have been able to save up and, and borders might be easier. Exactly. We have our fingers crossed that things will go back to more or less um, what it was before as far as traveling and um, we'll be able to just cross borders with ease, hopefully again. And this book from from Sam Manicom, The Moment Collectors, it's probably perfect timing or it was a perfect time. Did you write your piece for The Moment Collectors while you were back in the States now? 
It was no. We were in Africa, and Sam reached out oh. to us. And, well, well, actually, uh, maybe, maybe that's even better because you're you're out there traveling rather than reminiscing. You're out there in, the, in you know doing the real deal. Yeah. Well, and my my chapter has uh, is is about our time we spent in South America. It's a chapter about you know bonding and and motivation and you know just a, a, a what what made us have a real good feel good moment that will be with us for the rest of our life. And uh, that was a moment that made me truly appreciate what adventure motorcycle traveling is. Exactly. Because even though we were in Africa at that moment, we had um, not been traveling for a while because we'd been stuck. The borders had closed. So um, we were very nostalgic and reminiscing about the incredible times we'd had traveling. Mm -hmm. So it was really perfect. Yeah. How difficult is it to, uh, because the whole idea of the book, Sam said, is um, talking about the the moment when, a, or at least a moment, when it really hits you that, wow, you know, you know this is incredible. This is why I'm out here. How, how difficult is it to find that moment to write about? Well, to be honest, um, and, and coming from, you know, I've written a couple books, and so I've tried to nail that key point uh, in a couple chapters throughout the, the books I've already written. But for Sam... It's, it's just, it's not, it's not, I, I think it, the difficult part was which one. Yeah. I think I, it was hard to choose one. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we, we, we were in Africa and the adventure hacks were actually back home in, in Canada, saving up for their next, uh, bout into the world. And we were the ones in a faraway land. Um, but we still talked all the time. And these are these are people we had never met until we were rode together down in, in South Africa. Now we're just lifelong buddies. South America. South America, yeah. Um, but it's just, they probably, and, and there's multiple people, Travis and Chantel. Um, yeah, there's tons of writers out there that are traveling internationally. Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about us personally that have, have made a deep impact oh, on us. Craig so and Craig Michelle, and Michelle, Dave and, and M. Phil and Sapna. Phil and, I mean, there's there's too many to name, but but us and Brendan and Kyra, we're, we just, we're, we're best friends for life. And every time I reflect on the, the memories we've had with them, it's, it's just, it's always good. Because traveling with people can sometimes be tough and rough if you're, you know, one wants to leave at 6 a.m. and the other one doesn't want to leave until 2 p.m. But you know what what we've always discovered is that um, since you're on motorcycles, you have a lot of freedom and autonomy. So um, even if you are traveling with someone who has a different schedule than you or wants to see different things than you, um, it's very easy to just get up and say, hey, we'll meet up at the next town, you know, and go your own way and take your own path that day. Um, and meet up later on. So it's never been too much of a challenge. No. And if somebody wants to be speed demons, you know, they, they go ahead and, you know, yeah. but, <laughs> but what was nice about the adventure hacks is that we, we seem to all be mentally on the same page and we both liked, you know, you know both couples cause it was, it was a, 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 a husband and wife duo mm-hmm. on another KTM. So there's just so many similarities, similarities that, you know, yeah, and that's what you wrote about was a time with them. Right? Yeah, of course. You yeah. mentioned uh, you, you've got uh, other books. What are the other books? So our first book is Maiden Voyage, and it's kind of just a breakdown of the who, what, why, where of what inspired Marissa and I to travel. Yeah. And then the, uh, the the real adventure, if you will, is begins with uh, Two Up and Overloaded, and that's us going from Chicago to Panama. 
and then Blood, Sweat, and No Tears is my third <laughs> book that goes from Colombia to, uh, to Ushuaia. I think the title kind of fits it, Blood, there Sweat, and No Tears. There, there were tears, though. <laughs> so, well, obviously you have more books coming because that doesn't finish your trip there. No. I think That's right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but what I was going to ask though, so you, you've got these other books that you wrote. So you've, you've already had some experience writing and, and figuring out how to tell a story, et cetera. Sam comes to you with this idea of, uh, of mm-hmm. you know, picking a moment. And the moment you pick is when you're, when you're talking about your experience with other travelers, is some of your best experiences meeting other people who are doing the same thing as you? Absolutely. Well, that's that's absolutely it. But even not just other travelers besides us, that is very true. We love meeting other people and that is really what makes the journey, I think. So what is it about meeting other people who are traveling rather than locals? How do you, why, why would you make a better connection that way? Well, oh, I think both are. Just as an asterisk as far, and I'm going to cop out and be cheesy here, but it's kind (laughs) of like a, 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 the best moments kind of thing is kind of like the the Pink Floyd prism where the light goes in and then refracts into a thousand different answers because Ooh. you know it's 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 like the <laughs> some of the answers are the people we meet um, some of the answers are the the fellow travelers we met some of the answers is when it's just Marissa and I in the middle yeah. of absolute nowhere so there's a thousand best moments and best reasons but um, just the, the excitement and the motivation of fellow riders also two up also on a crazy, heavy, ridiculous bike. They're on a 1290, um, you know, pushing each other to go down some really difficult terrain that mm-hmm. Marissa and I may not have done if it wasn't for, you know, the, the group, you know, the Dynamic, teamwork yeah. makes the dream work type thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's it. I mean, I love that analogy, by the way, of the prism. I yeah. think that's really good, but um, they, yeah, they egg us on and I love meeting local people and I love meeting people all around the world. Um, don't get me wrong, but travelers, we have a special connection. We have a connection with motorcycling. We have a connection with being out of our element. Um, there is definitely something about it that makes it very special. Well, and we're going through the same trials and tribulations yeah. together, you know, and the, we're overcoming the same battles and fears and us as two different couples and us as, yeah. you know, there's just a lot of things that uh, we can talk to. And it's almost kind of like a therapy session to know that we're not the only ones that argue mm-hmm. with each other or, you know, have yeah. bad days. Cause you see all these Facebook and Instagram posts of just sunshine and rainbows and then Marissa and I are like sometimes I don't like you <laughs> well it is a lot isn't it because you guys are riding two up yeah and, and yeah. Um, you know that's you don't get any closer quarters than that and uh, I mean you, yeah. you don't get a few minutes away from each other when you're riding anyway yeah uh, nope. as, as far as that goes but um so it's kind of like when you when you have somebody else that's traveling there, there's that commonality I mean you you can almost you know, look at each other and nod and get it. You For know? sure. But yes. Even though, even though what you what you're experiencing with locals and your surroundings and everything, that is what fuels you. But there's mm-hmm. that connection that you have that, that I guess that ultimate connection with those other travelers. And that, that's really interesting. So w- when you are out traveling, do, do you guys look for other travelers? Do you actually seek them out to, mm-hmm. to get that connection? Not, not really. It just kind no. of, there's a lot of people that interweave, you know, through, I mean, going down to Ushuaia, there's only one major road and then you can, you know, yeah. zigzag off and on 
you know, off yeah. of the Pan Am. And we tried to stay off as off the Pan American Highway as much as we could. But people do get funneled. You get funneled in through Panama. It gets very narrow. Yeah. And there's kind of launching off points in order to get to South America. And then same with Ushuaia. You get funneled onto the one road when there's ferries to take between Tierra del Fuego and the other parts. So, yeah, you, you definitely come across these other travelers. Well, and in South America, there were adventure travelers aplenty, you know, in, yes. in Africa, it was more slim picking. But when you saw one, it was like, hey, you're, <laughs> like slam on you're the not from this continent, <laughs> you know. So, you know, but, you know, and another thing that I think in, in Africa, we met other people as well. And those moments were just as unique and special. But I think part of the bond that drew me to Brendan and Kyra is the fact that they, they spoke English, which was awesome. That's true. That I couldn't help. speak a lot of <laughs> Spanish. And so I couldn't, I could talk about myself in the present, but like I couldn't have conversations with people other than Marissa. And she already knew all of my stories. And so it's <laughs> good for someone else to come along and spoke English that I can just word vomit my entire life onto. That's true. You guys sort of, um, when you left, you, you abandoned your life, so to speak, your normal life and you took off and you, and you become travelers and which I think is probably how you identify yourself now, at least to some degree, you dove real mm -hmm. deep into travel. What is life like for you now? Like, like what do you, where do you see yourself going? So at the moment we're in a kind of weird state that we're not used to and it's normal. It's normal life. We've come back home to Chicago for the winter and we're working regular jobs and saving up money and having a normal winter, um, not riding on the motorcycle because, you know, there's it's snow in 20 and ice pieces. and it's in 20 pieces. That's right. Um, so it has been a bit of an adjustment um, going back to that life. Um, it's also very nice to have this time, you know, not having to worry about where I'm going to sleep that night yeah. or is but the water going to be hot? Just yesterday like we were talking to each other and said, man, I, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were still in Kenya in that little house we were renting just hanging out? Like that was, it yeah. just, it was, it was more exotic and nice and less stressful. Like I work at a big box retail store and that's lame. <laughs> you know, and I bought a used car to get me to and from work and it's a lemon. So yeah. that, that's, that's lame. And so, you know, yeah, it's just kind of. I kinda, much prefer the motorcycle. I, I like the motorcycle and I like being in a foreign country and I like, you know, it was, it was much more entertaining. And even when it wasn't entertaining, it was just the, the exotic was, yeah. was off the, 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 through the scales. And so. I liked the newness. I liked waking up in the morning and thinking, where am I? Oh yeah. yeah. yeah I, I love that feeling. Do you find, cause you mentioned about, you know, you, you get it when you see another traveler and, and they get you and you, you're able to communicate. Have you slipped back to the old Tim and Marissa now back at work or are you finding yourself sitting there staring at this being that you can't connect with because they don't get it? Well, so it's two parts for me. Like I know it's a short tunnel we're going through, right? Exactly. So like it's just a winter and then Alaska's on the other side of this, you know, this little hill that we're diving through. That's not very awesome. But, <laughs> and like my boss, they're cool. And I don't want to tell them too much because I don't want them to fire me, but they, 
they don't know I'm in it like really short term, but that's why I got a crappy retail job. Yeah. Because I can quit without feeling like an awful human being. So you're in there, you're like the, the career guy saying, yeah, yeah, no, this is great. Can't wait till, they, I'm, yeah. you know, till I'm 65 <laughs> and able to retire from here. But. Well, and I'm almost 40 and I didn't want to get fired after seasonal. And so I'm working really hard. But like a lot of people thought like I was an undercover boss because I just I cared <laughs> too much. There, you know. <laughs> but but every once in a while I'll leak my my boss's boss, like the the store GM, the whatever, like they found our she YouTube found channel. Out who you are. <laughs> <laughs> she bought one of my books and I was like, uh oh. <laughs> You're good. Uh, yeah, I know, right? But it's it's yeah. it's fun. And it, it is hard. I work with a lot of uh, Hispanic people because we live right next to uh, some pretty large Hispanic communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to pretend my, you know, I won't say practice, but my Spanish. You <laughs> yeah, know. you get to practice. Yes. Yeah. And there's a woman there that uh, she's from Guatemala and mm-hmm. she just actually flew back and came back. And so we got to chit and chat about my time there and her time yeah. there. So there's, there's sneak peeks of of reliving our past with other people, but yeah. most people a kind of a blanket statement just don't really care. <laughs> For me, it's very deja vu because I'm working as a substitute teacher at an elementary school, which I used to teach. It wasn't elementary, but it was still teaching. And I am totally remembering that entire world. And it's, it's a wonderful world. I love teaching, but um, it has been a lot of remembering but it's also very exciting to think about being back on the road again. So it it's a it's a bit hard because um, I don't have my own class. I'm just subbing for different classes. So I'm not constantly with the same students or else I think I would get that bond again and it would be hard to say goodbye to oh, teaching again. Right. But I'm I'm very excited to get to Alaska yeah. and get on the road and get on the motorcycle and the dreariness of the winter um, just helps with that. Well, you mean it helps motivate you to... to yes. Yeah, okay, I, I see that. Mm-hmm. But do you find that, you know, you mentioned about, you know, your, your bed being there, not having to worry about a place to sleep. There's some of those comforts. Do, do you, do you mm-hmm. find yourself wanting to cling to those at all? No, I like hunting. And even when we're on the road going across the, the, the States when we're going from expo to expo, it's kind of, it was fun, like not yeah. knowing where... Yeah, I mean, you mark like three or four spots on your, or not even mark, but you, you Google where you might possibly be, depending on what route you take and depending on how beautiful it is, so how many pictures you stop and take. But you never know exactly where, what even what state you're going to be in, yeah. you know. But, and uh, I really miss my meditation time of being in my helmet, listening to my music, thinking yeah. about just the world and just watching the road and everything pass by. I miss that tremendously. I feel like normal American life is just going from one thing to the next and I sometimes get stressed out about it. And so, yeah, I really do miss that time just being on the road. What do you think people are, or what were you, what are you hoping that people will get from your chapter? Well, I think as all motorcyclists know, there is this feeling of euphoria that you can get um, being on the motorcycle And it's something that's universal that we all understand, but it's not something that you can easily put into words on paper. And so for us, that was the hardest thing to do. Well, for me, like those euphoric 
moments happened a lot. But, and to be, you know, to, to be honest, it's kind of, you know, it's like a sound wave. There was plenty of dips below zero mm. decibels as well. You know, like <laughs> it, it, there's, there's high points and there's, there's, there's low points, but like it, it's, I, I just want the the general public or, or you know whatever the reader or other potential writers just to know that not all the days are are awesome, but by God when days are good it's just yeah. they're, they're memories that will last lifetimes. You know I don't know if you believe in reincarnation, but a little bit of you in your next life will still get a warm <laughs> fuzzy feeling. You know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's just. And I think Sam does it really well. And I know a bunch of the other authors who had contributed to the books too. And it's just a, a I don't know why we're in there because it's just a awesome <laughs> collection of amazing people. It and it's so cool. And it I, is I felt, such an honor. Yeah. You know, to work with Sam Anagam is that's just, yeah, that's fantastic. That's yeah. just something I would have never have dreamed of four years ago, you know? Yeah. Well, it is great talking to you guys, and I look forward to talking to you when, you, when you're, I guess, in Alaska or maybe on your way to Alaska. I guess it depends yeah, if you get yeah. your KTM fixed up or if you end up getting something different. Because if, you, if you're riding the same KTM, I guess there will be a lot more stories of, what, breakdowns? <laughs> yeah, those are yeah. the dips that I was referring to. <laughs> 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 we'll have to talk about that next time. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you very Thank you much so for much, having us on again. And, and thanks to everybody out there. And a big, huge shout out to Sam Anacom for wrapping all this yes. together and getting this, this community. He's, he's just a, a good ringleader. Absolutely. We are Travis and Chantel of uh, Viajar Moto, and we're from the world, I guess. Yeah. We're traveling, originally from America, but we kind of feel like since we've been on the road for the last two years that uh, we're full-fledged members of the world, I guess. I think so. <laughs> It's re it's really interesting though. I mean, you're only two years on the road. Only, only two years on the road, and you've already given up your country. You're just people of the world now. <laughs> well, the world is so amazing so yeah, far. Yeah. We've seen yeah. so many neat things. Uh, yeah. you, you guys have been out for a while because you've been traveling for a couple of years. But but you also lived in Germany and, and worked out of Germany yeah. for a while. That's true. Yeah. So, so yeah. how long has it been that you you've been away from the U.S. like sort of as a full time gig? Four, Four years. years. Yeah. Four years. Did, did that first move for you guys? And I, I think what it is is you're um, you were in the military, Travis. Yeah, that's right. correct. So um, you go to Germany. You, you go to work in Germany, and was that move part of? Um, was that like a stepping stone for you guys for for um, living away from home for being on the road? Did that make it easier? Do you think for you guys to hit the road on two wheels afterwards? Well, four wheels with the two wheels. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. that was part of the plan was uh, if we're going to relocate to an entire new continent, yeah. then uh, we're just going to liquidate everything we have here in the U.S. and uh, strap it on the two bikes and ride to uh, ride to Europe. Yeah. Mm. So that did make it a lot easier. And you touch on an interesting thing, because once we got to Germany, I kind of had to get through me, especially had to get through this emotional um, downtime in my life when we really felt like, wow, this is what we want to do. We want yeah. to travel full time. And then, then we had to slow down and establish a life for us 
in Germany for a couple of years, but yeah, but that first trip from the United States to Germany, we went to Iceland and had a, I mean, the, the whole month of just vacation time. We were like, this is what we're going to do as soon as we retire. Cause yeah, this yeah. is, is amazing. It's magical. What was Iceland like? Yeah. Well, it's, I uh, thought it was being cold and miserable. Cold. Cold. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much beauty there in Iceland. There's, there's the waterfalls and the mountains and the glaciers. And it even like, um, oh, it's just amazing just to see how it's created. Like you can see how a world was created when you go to Iceland. You yeah, know? yeah, pretty miraculous. All the volcanoes. It's interesting because it's not very big. It's, it's a little smaller than uh, my home state of Colorado. But um, there's just so much to see in that country. That just dawned on me. You said your home state of Colorado. And I'm just thinking the world has a lot sort of big shoes to fill, I guess is what I'm saying for you, because Colorado is Colorado. so grand to begin with. So you've been brought up in a, uh, a a grand place and then you're going out in the world to look for more grandeur. It kind of sets the bar pretty high. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's, true. it's actually, it, honestly, it almost makes me want to come back to Colorado and just spend more time because I don't think I fully appreciated my uh, home state as a, as a kid, uh, yeah. as a youngster. Because I left, uh, I left Colorado as soon as I became an adult. Right, you had to get out of there. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> now, now it's a place that I would love to just go and spend uh, a couple years and just see every nook and cranny of that yeah. state. Since our mindset's different now, huh? You can get pretty um, used to things around you. That's yeah, true. Yeah, I think that's why we enjoy traveling so much. Is every other day is a, a new experience. Yeah. Well, th that's what uh, what sort of brings me to is: Do you find that on the road though? Do you do you take it for granted? I mean, two years is a long, long time to be traveling. Most people go on a vacation for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or something like that. Two years on the road. Is there some complacency with that? No, I uh, love it. It's, I, like, I, it's I a huge that. adventure every day. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't felt that way. No. Well, why, why I mean, is that different from where you were growing up in Colorado? Chantel, where did you grow up? I grew up in Idaho. In Idaho. Okay. Potatoes, right? No, there's tons of Idaho is amazing. So, so I mean, you, two amazing places that you, that you guys yeah. grew up in, yet you, you sort of got bored of that or you could, you know, like we talked about, well, how do you not well, get that with travel? I don't know if I got bored of it. I think yeah. I was just a stage of my life where, Hey, I'm 18. Now I got to go out and make my own way in the world. And that way, that way for me, at least serving in the military was I'm leaving my family and going doing my own thing. Mm. And then Idaho was so amazing because my dad would take us camping and end up exploring as much as we could. And I'm like, if Idaho's this great, what is the world going to be like, right? <sighs> and so, yeah, we did a lot of outdoor stuff when we were growing up. And that sort of gave you a taste. Is that part of what drove you for, for adventure? Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. You guys are in this this incredible book uh, that Sam has put together with with a whole bunch of authors, The Moment Collectors. What did you think when Sam contacts you about this? It, was there any apprehension? I'm, I'm curious of whether it's that type of thing where somebody calls you up with this big project. I mean, it's Sam Manicom, right? I mean, yeah, you sure, know, sure. he's got a certain um, reputation. Um, there's a certain honor, I think, in my mind to be in something like I that. I agree. D does it, did it really hit you as a, as a heavy uh, request? Um, it caught us off guard for sure. I mean, Sam Manicom, like you said, is a headliner in our community. But yeah. at the same time, he's also very approachable and down very, earth, yeah. very down to earth and very giving of the time that he has to especially help other people that are on the road. So I know we reached out to him 
what, maybe like a couple months before we started full-time traveling just to kind of say hi and let him know that we had got one of his books and we were enjoying reading it. Yeah. And that kind of set, I guess that kind of was our first introduction to him. And then, yeah, within like seven, six or seven months later, all of a sudden we get this request. Like, and of course, you're like, you're, you read Sam's books and you're like, why is he asking I'm not us? Bother. I'm not bothered. <laughs> why is he reaching out to us? <laughs> we don't we don't write books. Um, I wrote blogs and I knew Sam was very much into street art. Yeah. That's one of his uh, his joys when he goes and visits a place. So the places we and it, it's also my passion to take street art photography and go in. It's one of our favorite things to do when we visit yeah. a city is to search for street art and, and murals. So I shared with him a blog post of some of the uh, murals that we've been enjoying. And I think we kind of shared that joy together. And then next thing you know, he's asking us to write a chapter <laughs> for a, a, a future book. Yeah. Because I think I think one thing that, that Sam said is that um, that Travis was really good with explaining his words and getting the feeling across to show an emotion when he wrote the blog. So he's like, I like the way you write. That's what he told us when he asked us. And we're like, oh, really? So Sam was creeping on your blog and following along. Yeah. You had yeah. no idea. Yeah, exactly. He was one of at least two people that was reading, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a, a great uh, chapter for the book about that one moment. And this is what the book is about. Does it get stronger as you go? Do they keep adding up? Does it, does it get better as you go? Because I'm always thinking that there's, for someone who travels so long is what you guys are doing, that there, that there's, you know, I'm asking about complacency, right? You know, you sort of get used to it. You take it for granted. It, it is no longer a vacation for you. It's a way of life. Well, not as of yet. We yeah, really enjoy as, it now. Yeah. <laughs> I could actually shared a, another story with Sam. Uh, this happened somewhat recently, oh, yes. two months ago. And he was like, hey, if we ever write another chapter for the book, share that story. So <laughs> I think there's still there's still those moments looking back at last year, like one of those moments was just being able to cross the Arctic circle yeah. in Sweden and then and get to the ice hotel get to the ice yeah. hotel, and, and, and then meet up with an old friend that we had met in Dubrovnik. It was just all, all these, yeah. all these things kind of came together in one of these perf and, and perfect the travel sun, days huh? and the like, midnight wow. sun. So yes, it was beautiful. It was one of those, nice. one of those wonderful days where everything just kind of came together at this perfect moment <laughs> and the bike didn't break down that day. What are you guys looking for out there? What are you chasing? Yeah, experiences. I think trying to learn more about the places we visit. Those are the things that really drive me. And the world. The world is, I mean, like the the creation of the world or like, say, the trees and the mountains. I guess I'm nature girl. There you go. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's so much diversity in the world. Yeah. Uh, and there's some places you go where there's just, uh, you know, those trees don't exist or a particular type of Animal, sculpture yeah. or the way the volcanic uh, rocks form into mm -hmm. these columns. Those only exist in certain places around the world. So mm -hmm. those are always fascinating to us. And then also the people, the people are so cool how they live their lives differently. I mean, even though we all eat, sleep and, and drink, right. We have different cultures and different um, ways we actually do these things. And so it's, it's really intriguing. I've learned so much with different um, way people live. You guys are riding your own motorcycles. You're both riding 650s, right? We yeah. are single cylinder beamers. Yeah. Is there any part of the motorcycle thing that um, that that you you don't like as far as travel goes? <laughs> of course, like uh, 
Anytime where the weather's really crummy and it's miserable and it's raining. Uh, and you're riding the, along soaking wet and cold and you look over and see somebody in a vehicle when they've got the heat yes, on clearly, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to radio, you or, know? Like. Or following an RV and I can imagine they're listening to like uh, jazz music while, they're, while their spouse is feeding them like fresh grapes or something. <laughs> or they're making a hot chocolate looking out the window and saying, you should see the two bikes behind us. They look cold. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Other than that, that's I love the, motorbikes. I do like being out in the element. Even the cold is not necessarily a negative thing for me. It's just the mm-hmm. when it's really rainy. Mm-hmm. Like when you're when you're kind of pushing through the cold, you kind of feel alive at that point, and I I enjoy that feeling. Um. Yeah, I think it's just a it's a it's a whole sense of everything's wide open. Yeah. And Chantil, how how long have you been riding a motorcycle? Uh, we've only been riding for about seven years. We had no motorcycles up until then, so it's a new thing for us, I guess. And we've just went over head and heels on it. We love it. Everything's motorcycles now. Yeah, because you gave up sailing for this, right? We did. Yeah. yeah. We didn't give it up. We just put it on pause. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's <laughs> what you just tell your pause. sailor friends. No, it's it's interesting because I was expecting or not expecting. I'm wondering if I'm going to talk to you one time and you're finally going to say, now we're going to, you know, we're going to trade the bikes in and we're we're going to get, uh, I don't know, some 24 foot <laughs> sailing boat or something like this. <laughs> exactly. No, I think we there we will. Someday when we there get we older, will, I guess. <laughs> we, we rented a, we rented a sailboat in, uh, in Croatia for yeah. a week. And that was pretty cool. Oh, that was pretty heavenly. And uh, we didn't we didn't really miss our bikes until like day five, and we're like, right, oh, get back on the road. There's some advantages <laughs> to the motorcycles for sure. And then uh, we were we were very fortunate to kind of come back, and our bikes were still there, and we felt good to be back on the bikes again. So I think we enjoyed both of them. The motorcycle or the uh, the boat, rather, you're on the boat, you're confined to the yeah. boat while you're you're traveling somewhere, and then you're sort of confined to a port. It's not like you have transportation yeah. afterwards. Yeah. That's true. I think you can see a lot more of the world on a, at least a lot more of the land. Yeah. I mean, the world is three quarters, I guess, ocean, Water. but um, <laughs> yeah, you can see a lot more land on a motorbike for sure. Right. For sure. So you're in uh, the U.S. now. You're back visiting family? Yes. Yeah. And what happens after this? Um, March 1st, we head back to Spain so we can head to, uh, we're going to try to do Morocco if we can get in. Still closed though. It's still, yeah. still closed up tight, so. So you left your yeah. bikes in Spain. You flew back to the States. You're going to go back to Spain and get back on the road again. Has it been difficult for you up till now with all the border closures due to COVID? Uh, I'd say it's, 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 it's been a challenge. It's changed our plans. We've, we've been flexible. We had a chance to kind of talk to some people when we uh, went to the UK at the Overland event. And uh, that was just one of, that was our one number one recommendation was be flexible so our chance of death, our everything's changed since COVID, without yeah. a doubt. Our plans have changed, but on the flip side, we still manage to. It's important to be informed as well. I mean, an example of this would be when we popped up to the border of uh, Norway. Yeah. We looked at everything, we read everything, we knew that Norway wouldn't let us in if we didn't have a COVID certificate that was Electronic. actually digital yeah. that they could scan with a QR code. So uh, it's just being informed. We knew that it was going to be the case. So we had all that. They, they seem more concerned about our QR code for our COVID certificate than they were for our passport. Yep. It gives, it gives them something else to focus on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But then, I mean, just being informed was important. There was a couple uh, motorcyclists 
right behind us that uh, came from Switzerland and Italy, and uh, they wouldn't allow them in because they didn't have this QR code. Mm-hmm. So uh, being flexible, being informed, um, getting vaccinated surely helped. If we hadn't got vaccinated in Italy um, at a military base there, there would be no hope of us going to Scandinavia this last summer. Um, and then I think that actually the biggest thing is just setting a date and going. I think we're an example of that. We set the date for March, March 2020, 2020, which is <laughs> hindsight, probably one of the worst times you can start your travels. It still worked out in our half, but that was a little bit of luck. We had some other people that were in Africa or South America that just, it wasn't as open as Europe was, even though Europe wasn't exactly open, but we could still, we could still make plans. Yeah. Find places to, to, to visit that were new to us. Why are you guys still traveling when most people consider it not something you can't do right now? Or I should say how, I guess. A commitment. We were already, we already committed. committed yeah. At that point, like it would have been. Cause we didn't have anything. We didn't except have a for job. Yeah. We didn't have uh, we don't have another vehicle. We don't have a place. We don't have furniture. We don't have house. We don't. Yeah. Everything is committed to March, 2020. Yeah. So we basically, at that point we had already jumped off the cliff. And we were following toward, we were following toward our toward our dreams. Yeah. And uh, it's not an it's not an easy thing to turn around, especially hindsight when you think, all right, how how long is this really going to last? Yeah. I mean, we were optimistic that it would last. All right, fourteen days to incubate people. They're gonna they're gonna shut down all these countries. Two weeks, maybe a month, this thing will go away, and we could be on our way. Okay. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> two years later, we've made it. We've made it for two years through this pandemic. So that's why we say, I mean, we can keep continuing. We just have to, we just follow the rules that we've set, you know, like willing to change our plans, keep informed. Um, so it, that's why we're going to keep continuing traveling is because we've already known we can make it happen. Yeah. It's, I think it's 2020. It's, I think it's only going to get easier from here. Yeah. Personally. Do you guys think that the traveling during these tough times where it's difficult, everything's difficult. Do you think this made you better travelers, you know, um, more seasoned? Well, maybe just more informed, I think. Yeah, well, it's a good question. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely made us more flexible. And exactly. We more flexible. tend not to get as frustrated when things plan that are beyond our control. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know. I know I, I have a lot less frustration because I like things going my way. But I've kind of had to learn that I've got to let that go. But we flipped through thousands and thousands of pictures of things that necessarily didn't go our way, but we still had wonderful memories, even though they weren't our original plans. Yeah. Making it up to Norway was one of our goals and we made it. So we are pretty stoked about that. Right. We're just spending all winter in the Balkan region. Never in my life would I said, I'm going to spend... I'm going to spend five, six months in former Yugoslavian countries. Exactly. But it turns out we actually love that region of Europe. It's one of our favorite destinations we've been to. You said that you're learning to handle things different, Travis. What would you have done before when something doesn't go wrong? We run into a big thing. And then what do you do now? Uh, Get frustrated, flail my arms around, (laughs) wait for Chantil to say, it's It's okay, okay, it's okay. That's probably close to the reality. <laughs> okay, so and now what happens? Uh, start looking up new plans. Yeah, we just basically roll with uh, a new plan. Yep. 
Well, it was great to sit down and talk to you even just for a few minutes. We'll, we'll have to do this yeah. again sometime. We're, I'm going to put a link for your website in the show notes for this one. Thank you very much and, uh, and stay Thank safe you. out there. Bye. Always a joy to hang out with you, Jim. Thanks. That was Chantille and Travis Gill visiting home in the U.S. before they fly back to Spain and continue their adventure. Their website is viajarmoto.com. That's V-I-A-J-A-R-M-O-T-O.com. And that link is in the show notes on Adventure Rider Radio for this episode. Now, again, the book that we talked about today, or at least talked some about, is called The Moment Collectors by Sam Manicom and Friends. Sam's website is sam-manicom.com. And of course, all the links that we from all the people we've talked about, everything's in the show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com for this episode. Yeah, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, of course, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. The other way you can be a part of this, if you're not doing it already, is become a show supporter, AdventureRiderRadio.com, and click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent at you, an Adventure Rider Radio sticker for your pannier, your toolbox. Um, anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show, and since I'm mentioning Raw, I'm going to throw in here that we have another show called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It's a round table talks which includes sam manicom by the way of course where we talk about motorcycle travel and anything else that crosses our mind so that is a separate show you need to subscribe separately and you can find it just about anywhere podcasts are found well now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening and i will talk to you next week hi this is bill dragoo you're listening to adventure rider radio